Well, look, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be standing here. Um, I love you guys, and I love this. I love what I do. And um, I'm honored that I get to do this. You know, uh, I, I was undecided on exactly what I wanted to share. So here it goes. Um, you know, when I, when I first came here, this isn't what I'd ever planned on doing, you know. Uh, but I, I ended up coming here, and the only opportunity, really the only opening, was they had a uh, opening helping with facilities maintenance. And all I knew was that the Lord was saying, I want you to go now. And so I met with Pastor Todd, and, and Pastor Todd was very encouraging, but he was just saying, man, we, we, don't, we don't have a pastoral physician open. It doesn't make, you know, it really didn't make any sense. And so really just, I ended up going anyway, and, and, um, and the only available thing they had was uh, a facilities maintenance helper. And so I did that with no end in sight, and then uh, doors ended up opening, I, got, I guess about three or four months later, to, to come on staff as a pastor. But in the meantime, what you guys don't know, and really nobody knew, and I'm, I'd have been really embarrassed if you did know, I, w- I had keys to this place, okay? So what I would do is when everyone would leave, I'd come out right here, I'd plug my iPod into the speakers, and I'd have my own little worship service in here. <laughs> and then I'd come here, and I'd, I'd preach whatever I read that morning, and, and I'd stop, and I'd get quiet. I wasn't mic'd up or anything, but I'd have been really embarrassed if somebody would have walked in that back door and heard me doing that. So I'd go, I'd run and check, and I'd make sure the light was off. You know, I had all my cues set up. So for me to be standing here doing this is just really surreal, you know, and so I'm excited. Man, God is good. And um, so before we go, I want to pray. Um, I want to make sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do, and that I give you a message just like I got it. Uh, and so let me just pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, I don't take this for granted, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would use me as a vessel, God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my words. You would anoint those who are hearing. God, I know what it was like to receive this message from you. And I pray that I can give it with the same conviction. And I pray that I can deliver it and do you justice. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I like to open up uh, with a story, but I kind of want to preface the story with a, a story. So when I first got saved, I all of a sudden became extremely passionate about a, spe- a specific or particular subject. And uh, then I learned that Jesus is really passionate about it too, so he must be the one feeding this passion. Um, so I'm going to tell you a story about uh, well, to illustrate that passion. So when I was, I was 16 years old, I'm originally from Homa, Louisiana, which is about two hours south of here. And um, I grew up working young. I like to work. And so I grew up working. And I worked uh, at 16. I was working for an equipment rental company. And while I was there, I did a lot of um, maintenance at, uh, outside. You know, I was helping the mechanic, like a mechanic's helper. Uh, and on the weekends, I would fill in on the inside sales portion of the company. So taking calls, you know, renting out equipment, doing contracts, stuff like that. Well, anybody ever been on the receiving end of a of a call or conversation you weren't ready for? So, so that happened to me. It was one uh, Saturday afternoon and man, the phone rang and man, I'm just, hey, uh, you know, answer the phone and oh, man, on the other end, it's like I couldn't even get the, the hello out 
before this guy was, man, he was red hot. He was just firing off. And I, I was wondering if he had the right number. You know, I answered real nice. I don't know what was going on. So pretty much what had happened was he was telling me that, man, we had rented him some equipment that, that didn't work the way he wanted it. And, um, and it's just the, probably a five-minute spill. And, um, and man, I couldn't even get a rebuttal before I knew it. Bow, he hung up the phone. And so I looked up the contract number. And keep in mind, I'm 16 years old. And so I'm 26 now. <laughs> You'd about imagine how young I looked at 16. So <laughs> I, get in, I get in my truck and I grab the contract, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to this dude's job site. And, and the reason I did that is because I knew something. I knew something. I knew that. What he was experiencing was not what the owner intended for him to experience. Um, and the guy's name was, was Mr. Shorty. So I, I get on this job site. There's a bunch of guys working. And uh, so, you know, I never met this guy before, but I look for the angriest short guy <laughs> out there. <laughs> and I went right up to him, and I, I just kind of tugged on his leg. I said, hey, Mr. Shorty. And he said, what do you want? And you could tell he was clearly still aggravated. So I told him who I was, and I said, listen, I want to apologize to you. We're not only going to not charge you for anything that you had the whole week, we're going to give you another week free, and I'm going to bring some brand new equipment out here for you. And so he was, of course, exu- you know, exuberant to hear that, as a exuberant. Um, and, and, you know, my boss was, was happy that I handled it that way, too. The reality is, uh, like my dad calls it, shoot, ready, aim. I, I, I didn't plan on that. I just did it, you know. Well, the result was this. He wanted to keep uh, dealing with me direct. And so he got my phone number. He didn't know I was 16. And so students don't get any ideas. But when I was in class, he'd call my phone and I would sneak out of class. I'd go to the bathroom and I'd answer the phone and I would, I would be the middleman between him and, and headquarters, if you will. And so I would do all that stuff. And, you know, eventually it took a while, but he learned that I was in high school, um, and that I was a student and he started dealing directly with the sales guys at the shop. Um, you know, he was a regular customer. He gave us a, a lot of business, but being we were really misrepresented, our heart was misrepresented, chances are he wasn't coming back. He was going to go somewhere else. He was gone. And we could have waited for him to come, but the reality is we'd have just been waiting. He wasn't coming to us. So we had to go to him. And not only did we have to go to him, we had to represent the heart of the company very effectively, you know? And so as I was chewing on this story, I thought, wow, what a parallel to us as Christians and people that aren't Christians, people out there that like we, we would hear said in the world, you know. And so I want to talk about that topic, but I want to I elaborate on something first. You know, the reality of us being salesmen and saleswomen for Jesus is a real one, right? But the good news is, we don't have a faulty product. We never have a faulty product. Jesus always delivers. And even when we think he doesn't, he does. I can't tell you how many times I thought he didn't deliver. And man, before I knew it, I realized, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, see, I was doubting you. That happens all the time. He, he's never faulty. He's never faulty. And just like, just like Mr. Shorty wasn't really rejecting the heart of the company and the owner, he was rejecting the misrepresentation. Sometimes people aren't really rejecting Jesus. Oftentimes, they're just rejecting the misrepresentation of Jesus. And so the truth is, 
People actually do want Jesus. They just don't know it, but they want it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, read this with me. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Right here, the God, lowercase g, right? The God of this age, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what we see clearly, they don't see clearly. So just like I could clearly see the heart of the owner and clearly see the heart of the, the customer, they wasn't seeing each other, or, or the customer wasn't seeing that, you know? And so Jesus can only do what people are looking for. I'll give you, I'll give you some examples. In Psalms 147.3, it says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Only Jesus can heal a broken heart. People say time heals a broken heart. Really, that's, that's not necessarily true. You can stuff things, but true healing comes from Jesus. Jesus is true stability. People want and need that. They just don't know exactly how to get it, and that's Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24, it says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So the rock, obviously, is Jesus, and the storms are inevitable. They're inevitable. So no one gets out of life without going through some tough times. And, I mean, we, we know that, you know, full well. We just literally came out of a flood, right? We just literally came out of the literal translation of this verse, I would say. Uh, but, but what I noticed, and I'm sure a lot of you had noticed as well, um, a lot of us served the community and were able to really go out and, and just man, try to help where help was needed. You know, a lot of times we were going with, hey, we're just going to get there and figure out what, what people need, and we're going to try to meet that need as best we can. And um, But when we did get out there, I noticed a few things. It was always so clear to me who had a relationship with Jesus and, and who didn't. There's a couple houses that they, they didn't go to church. They didn't know the Lord. Um, and, and you could see the difference in the peace and stability in those people's lives. Right, so people want that. They just don't know how to get that. You know, that leads me to the next point. He's the only giver of peace that surpasses understanding. In Philippians chapter four, starting in verse six, it says, "Don't worry about anything." That's, that's, I'm gonna read that again. It's really not that easy to do, but it's what he tells us to do. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. If you do this. This part here, you will, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What those people that had peace when they had three feet of water in their house, there is no explanation for that. Why in the world would you sit in your house full of peace and you've got a flooded house? And even if you have moments of, of, of turmoil, that's natural, that's normal, but that peace keeps, keeps coming. That peace keeps coming. Jesus keeps pursuing, right? So Jesus is unconditional love, and he always fulfills what the Bible says love is. He always fulfills it. So I'm going to read 
the love chapter, or not the whole chapter, but a verse. Um, but I'm going to replace love with Jesus, right? So in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, uh, let's read it like this. Jesus is patient and kind. People want that. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus does not demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable, and he keeps no record of wrongs. He's, he's never glad about injustice, but he rejoices when the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up. He never loses faith. He's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Jesus will last forever. So I could go on and on about the attributes of Jesus. There's so much more that I felt almost bad for leaving out, but I realized that there's a, there's a message I got to get to. And so people need him. People want him. And, they, and, and Jesus needs us to introduce, you know, to introduce them. We got to make the meeting, right? So tonight's message is entitled, Go Into Jerusalem. Go Into Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, starting in, in, in the fourth verse, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, let's talk about Jesus, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, or John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then when we jump to verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I love that. You will be my witnesses. We've got the opportunity of a, of a lifetime, literally. And so, you know, as Christians, we do a pretty good job, um, I think, at, at the ends of the earth part, missions trips, missions funding, et cetera, and, and those are extremely important. We can't neglect those things, but I think that it's the Jerusalem part that we often have the most trouble with. Do you all agree with that, or is that just me? Yeah. Okay. It's not just me. <laughs> so my focus for tonight is Jerusalem. It's, it's your high school. You know, it's, it's your classmates. Um, it's, it's your place of business, your workplace, it's your coworkers, right? Uh, it's your family. It's, it's people at the grocery store. It's, it's people at the doctor's office and on and on. And so with that in mind, there are two focuses on going into Jerusalem that I want to camp out on for the rest of our time. The first thing is I want to talk about the most effective hindrance that stops us from going into Jerusalem, that's the, the most effective hindrance that stops us from going into Jerusalem. And the second thing is I want to talk about practical ways that we can be effective in Jerusalem. And there's a lot of hindrances and there's a lot of ways we can, but I'm just going to hit some basic things that I think are very, uh, very true, but very achievable. Cool deal? All right. So most common hindrance to going into Jerusalem, I would say, or it's been my experience, is the fear of man. I think the fear of man can be a very common hindrance. And after I was praying about it and really stewing on it, I thought, well, really, there's two ends of the spectrum of fear of man, or at least that I've experienced and has hindered me. And so the first one I want to talk about is the fear of being rejected by man. It's the fear of being rejected by man. One of the best examples of this is, is Peter in the Bible when he denies Jesus. Now, I love Peter because he's, he's definitely not lukewarm. He's either hot or cold. He's either cutting somebody's ear off for Jesus 
or he's just denying he even knows Jesus, but he's never in the middle, you know? <laughs> so let's check out Luke chapter 22 in, in, in verse 56. So Peter, just imagine this with your mind as I read this. So a servant girl noticed Peter in the firelight and began staring at him. So Peter's probably getting a little antsy. Finally, she said, this man's one of Jesus's followers. Peter denies it. He says, woman, I don't know what you're talking about. After a, after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. So Peter says, no, man, I'm not. He's getting a little frustrated. About an hour later, so Peter's really feeling the heat. He's, he hung in there for an hour. Uh, about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of Jesus' disciples because he's Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm pretty sure he jetted after that. He, he endured all the heat he was willing to take, right? And so, see, P Peter was fearful and ashamed of Jesus at this point. And he, he just wanted to just blend in with the crowd and remain unknown. And I know, like, you know, we can read. I know the first time I read that, I thought, what's wrong with you, Peter? How dare you deny Jesus? <laughs> but I think it's true to say we can all identify with that fear of man. I think we, we can all identify with that. That's a real thing. And so... One of the ways we might experience that is, what will people think about me if they know I'm a Christian? Or, man, will, will they accept me? Will they reject me? Will I know what to say if they ask me questions? I mean, really, our mind just comes up with all these fearful thoughts. And really, I think it's the enemy. He, he's, the, he's the master of fear. Uh, but in Peter's case, it was simply just not acknowledging that he was a follower of Jesus. And sometimes that's all it is for us. We just don't want to really acknowledge that, you know? And I'll give some examples, and I'll give a, a real-life example from, from one of my uh, failures in that area. It says, um, but, but maybe, you know, you might feel pressured into doing something that you feel convicted about. So maybe, maybe you feel a little peer pressure. I don't think we ever grow out of that, to be honest with you. Um, I'm only 26, but you definitely don't until you're 26. So maybe you feel a little peer pressure, um, and, and you don't want to say no because you want to be accepted. I think we've all been there. Maybe you have an opportunity to represent Jesus, uh, maybe in some way at work or, or at school, uh, but you allowed the fear of being rejected to keep you from doing that. Uh, maybe you feel like you're supposed to pray with a friend or a coworker or even a stranger, uh, but you end up not doing that because you don't want to be rejected. Has anybody ever experienced any one of those three things? Yeah? I know more of you have experienced that before. <laughs> So I'll tell you guys a story of that last one. You know, um, my, my dad's here. I'm not going to make you stand up, but my dad's here. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So I was going home to visit my dad and my mom one day, and I was taking an exit. There's a, the exit off of Highway 90 onto 311, and there's a big truck stop gas station there. And I think it was like noon on Saturday, so it was pretty busy time. And so I pull in, and I was getting something to drink or something, and I, I walked to the back. But when I walked in the door, I saw the, the attendant, the cashier, and, and I don't know why, but you ever move with compassion? You ever just feel compassion for somebody? I never saw this person in my life that I know of, and I was just moved with compassion for this person. And I thought I was supposed to pray for them. And so I'm, I'm walking, and I'm thinking with God, and I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure? And so I get to the thing, uh, get to the little fridge, and I pull out a drink, and I'm walking, and I'm planning at this point. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. I'm, I'm, 
being a Peter, I'm not going to deny you, Lord. I'm, I'd never deny you, Lord. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask her how her day's going. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let her initiate conversation. She's coming to me. You know, I'm going through all this different stuff. So I get to the counter. I set the, uh, the drink down, and I'm, I said, hey, hey, how are you? Blank face. No response. And so I'm thinking, well, clearly I'm not hearing from the Lord because she ain't talking. So she's doing fine, Lord. But I know I'm supposed to pray with her, you know. She's doing fine. So, um, you know, I know I'm supposed to pray with her. And at this, this particular gas station, the ATM, or not the ATM, but the, the little card reader, sometimes it takes forever. Sometimes it takes forever. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and this was one of those times it was taking forever. So I had every excuse uh, to pray for her, really. But I, I ended up walking away from that counter. I didn't pray for her that day. And I got in my truck. I sat there for about... Uh, five minutes, and I, I knew, I knew I was supposed to pray for her. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you I did, but I didn't. I left. And I know it was the Lord because I still remember that. It stands out to me. And you know what else is crazy? As busy as it was that day, there wasn't a person in that store. It was just me and that. It was such a divine moment. Now, I don't, I, don't beat, I don't say that to beat myself up about it. You know, I know that God is sovereign, and hey, he caught the next person who was a Christian who walked in that store. But, man, I missed an opportunity to be a testimony in somebody's life. Have you ever had somebody just come and randomly pray for you? I've only had that happen to me one time. A stranger just came and initiated prayer, and I still talk about it. I could have been that. You know, and so, but, but I allowed the fear of being rejected to create uh, an obstacle that really didn't need to, to allow to happen. Now, the second fear of man um, that I want to talk about is really the fear of, of religion. It's really the fear of a religious spirit, you know, and no one's above it. But, the, but the, the, the religious spirit is something that Jesus talked about. And I want to read this in Matthew chapter 9. It says, that, that night, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to, to be his dinner guests along with his fellow tax collectors and many notorious sinners. The Pharisees were indignant. They were hot. Why does your teacher eat with such scum, they asked his disciples. When he heard this, Jesus replied, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices. For I have come to call sinners, not those who think they're already good enough. Man, that's sobering. But hey, sobering's a good thing. That's why we need the word of God to sober us, right? Right, so that's sobering. So, and it gives me a little insight to the heart of Jesus. It shows me, man, Jesus, I was that sinner one time. And Jesus saw fit to, to draw me into a relationship with him. Man, and it encourages me to do the same thing. You know, the same spirit that lived in those days is still alive and well today. Still alive and well today. And, and we have to be careful to not be influenced by that spirit. That's imperative. We can't be influenced by that spirit. Notice this. Jesus didn't allow the fear of the religious Pharisees to keep him from befriending sinners. I noticed that the religious people saw them as scum, but Jesus treated them as friends, and he loved them, and he spent time with them. You know, as I was praying and kind of chewing on this stuff, I, the Lord started to show me a little cycle um, that I have seen to be true in my life, and I had to repent uh, in order to preach this with some real conviction. <laughs> but this was the cycle. 
that spirit will, will cause us to isolate ourselves from people who don't know Jesus. It'll cause us to, to isolate ourselves. Then that isolation brings a lack of an understanding of those people. And so then we can become critical and judgmental. And eventually, before we realize it, we become the very thing we were afraid of. And then we officially quit going into Jerusalem. We quit being the salesmen or saleswomen, so to speak, for Jesus. And so we know this. We know that we're called to be a witness to Jesus in our communities, in our Jerusalem. And that's, that's what we define. That's your school. That's your workplace. That's your coworkers. That's your classmates. On and on. The grocery store, right? Um, so that brings us to the next question is, what are some practical things that make us effective in Jerusalem? What's some practical things? Well, the first thing, and you, you might think, well, that's spiritual, but it is, but it's practical too, is the most important thing, and that is we have to make Jesus our greatest influence, we have to make Jesus our greatest influence. And, and you know, you might be thinking, well, of course, you know, he is my greatest influence. I'm a Christian. Uh, but in reality, just because we're Christians, it doesn't necessarily mean we're allowing Jesus to be our greatest influence. And I'll give you an example because I was convicted by this when I was studying. Um, you know, we're surrounded by voices all day long. We're, we're, we're bombarded. We have voices fighting for our influence and fighting for our attention from the, from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. It's called Facebook. It's called the news. And I'm stepping on toes. It's called Instagram, right? It's called opinions of, of, of others. Sometimes opinions are great, and sometimes they're just not the same ones that Jesus has, you know? Uh, music, or, that's very influential. I'm very influenced by music, television, and on and on. And, and not all of these things are bad things in and of themselves, but man, when they take the place of being our primary influence, we run the risk of not being effective in Jerusalem. And so one, something about those things is they all communicate a specific view, opinion, and belief. And if we're not careful, we can adopt those views, opinions, and beliefs. And what we adopt is what we become. And so we'll give what we become. And people need Jesus, so that's why he's got to be the number one influence. And so one of the, one of the ways we can do that is it's, it's, it's a simple list, but it's one of those things that the head knowledge part is just not going to do the trick. It's like, a, it's like a, I heard an example like this. It's, it's like having a paint can of your favorite color, right? Well, that's really cool, but until you apply the paint, it's really not going to be very effective, right? It's really not going to do what it's supposed to do. So we've got to apply these things. We have to be still in the presence of God. I don't think, I, I don't do that enough. We have to be still in the presence of God because that's where we hear the voice of God. We've got to talk to God. We have to make it a point to have real conversation and not let ourselves fall into just habitual routine and habitual prayer. Now, these are basic things, but, but the basics make a difference, right? We have to ask him to continue to grow us to be more like him. When I ask a question, I'm waiting on a response, right? And so when we ask Jesus, I'm kind of wanting to know, well, if I'm asking, I want to be more like you. How, how, how are you? Tell me about you. And now I want to listen to that answer, right? Um, you know, we have to read our Bibles with the intent to know him more than just know about him. It's great to know about him, but we got to know him. We need to pick up on his heart, not, not what he did. We need to pick up on why he did those things. 
That's real transformation. And lastly, but certainly not least, we got to worship him and we got to get into his presence. That's the biggest changing thing for me. It's in the presence of God that things are changed and we're made new, right? How many of you heard that song, Hosanna, might be Hosanna, um, by Hillsong? Anybody ever heard that song? Um, there's, a, there's a bridge in that song, and I, it's the bridge because I Googled what it was called, and it's called the bridge. And, um, <laughs> but every time, I, every time I listen to it, it really does communicate what my heart just cries out when I'm in the presence of God. It's not even what my mind's thinking. It's, it's just what my spirit's wanting. And, and I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to sing it to you. I'll read it to you. It says, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. That's a powerful thing to ask God for. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. As I walk from nothing to eternity. You know, when we do that, people can tell we've spent time with Jesus. When we do that, we don't have to tell them. They know, right? And if they don't know, we might have not really been spending time with Jesus, right? <laughs> That's true for me. Um, you know, we start to think like him. We start to feel like him. We start to act like him. Ephesians 4.23 says this, we're made new in the attitude of our mind. I love that. I always have a, a predisposition. Every day I wake up, if I don't refresh and ask the Lord to, to give me the, his thoughts in the mind of Christ, I got the thoughts in the mind of Brady, and that's just not what the world needs, you know? I need the mind of Christ. In Acts uh, chapter 4.13, we see an example of this. It's, we'll pick up in verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and this is the part I camp out on, they took note that these men had been with Jesus, they took note, these men have been with Jesus. You know, it stood out to people that Peter and John had spent time with Jesus. Not that they knew him or not that they knew about him, right? In another scripture, Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So I'll stop before we keep going. We have to have a fresh reminder and a fresh, re just a renewing of that feeling of what's the love of God feel like? Because if, if we don't have it, we can't give it. We got to know what that feels like so that we know how to meet people. Because the truth is, Jesus meets us right where we are every day, every time we ask. And so to look like him, we got to receive that love. Then let's pick up in verse 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. We want people to be able to tell we've been with Jesus. Like I said, not because we know him but because we're like him. And this leads into my, my second thing that we'll do in order to be effective in our communities or effective going into Jerusalem. Uh, and that's being willing to be relational. It's quiet. Being, being willing to be relational, right? Brother Francis said this, and I don't remember if it was a conversation or if he was preaching, but I, man, it's always just stuck with me. He said, people started tearing down their porches and started putting up fences. Y'all ever, y'all remember hearing him say that? Started tearing down porches and putting up fences. And it reminded me, it reminded me of a time before these things, right? Uh, man, some people love that message. <laughs> before these things, 
right? They're not at all inherently bad. I'm glad I can pull the Bible up on my phone anytime, right? Stuff like that. I'm glad I can call somebody and I don't still have to write letters, although letters were really cool. Um, but it, it does say something. It says that we've gotten away from, from real face-to-face relationship. And I, I was fortunate to grow up in a time to where I knew my neighbors. I knew my neighbors. I mean, we'd see each other every afternoon. We'd wave at each other. We'd talk. I knew what was going on in their life. Uh, it, it, was, it was a real friendship. And now we got to be careful because we're getting redefined on what that word means. We just think it's, a, it's just a button on Facebook, right? And that's really not friendship. That's what we used to call acquaintances, right? And that's, but, but people did life together in person rather than online. I better move on a couple points. I can, I can feel some people aren't liking that. But I believe we need to get back to that. I think it's, the con- it's in those contexts, in that context of relationship that Jesus wants to use us. You know, this isn't in my notes, but there's a seminar uh, going on here. And uh, it's a great seminar. And, um, and, and the, the pastor leading it said something today. And, and I've always thought this, and I can't remember the statistics. But he said, you know, just the words that you use are a very small portion of your communication. You know, voice inflection is important. How you say a word is important. The volume that you use is important. Body language is important. So an example, if I say, hey, or if I say, hey, or if I say, hey, that was all, it's the same word, but it communicated three different things, right? So in the context of face-to-face communication is what I believe Jesus wants to use us in. So we have to be willing to be relational. And Jesus, really, Jesus was the best at this. The reason he was so relational was because he knew that people needed to know his heart before they would trust his message. They needed to know his heart before they'd trust his message. And the same is true for us. People need to know our heart before they'll ever receive our message. We can never say, well, they they rejected Jesus. Man, no, when people really know what Jesus represents, I, I, I just find it really hard to believe. Now, it might take a while for them to get to know your heart, or it might take a while for them to admit they want Jesus, but I really believe everybody hungers for what Jesus has to offer, Amen. right? So that can only be done in relationship. Now, lastly, the third thing that we need to do, it seems very basic, but it's, it's really what makes the biggest difference, and I'll end with an example, but it's two things. It's pray and wait. Pray and wait. So we gotta, we got to let Jesus be our number one influence. We talked about how to do that. We've got to be willing to be relational. We talked about that. Then after we do those things, we've got to pray and wait. In, in John chapter 6, verse 44, says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You know, before I gave my life to Christ, they had people praying for me. They had people praying, God, draw him into a relationship with you. I want him to know you, Lord. And I'm glad they were doing that. I'm glad they were doing that. So we need to do that. Remember in 2 Corinthians, it says that the God of this world, that Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. That means they don't have a revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. They they might hear the gospel with their ears, but it's just not really sitting on their heart. It's just not really reaching them. So I love how Paul says this, and I think it fits that verse perfect. In Ephesians chapter 1, 
He says, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I want to read that again. If you have friends, before I even read that, if you have friends who don't know God, they might give you the shirt off their back. It doesn't mean they're bad people. They just don't know the Lord. And, and they're, they're going to want to know the Lord. But it's going to come through us being patient, praying, and waiting. Now, with that in mind, think of that. Think of a person. Think of a person. And I'll read it again. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give, put that person's name in you, may give John, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that John may know them better. And now, after you pray for that person, the next part is keep being relational, keep doing the first and second thing, but then you got to wait. Then you got to wait. You got to wait on God to open up opportunities to bring people closer to him. Sometimes, and I think just the more technology progresses, we're going to struggle with that part a whole lot more. It's because the pace of life is just so much faster, and it seems like it's only getting faster. You know, we live in a, in a world that everything's instantaneous. If I want to know my bank balance, man, I just got to pull out my phone and hit an app and log in. Boom. If I want to know how much a bike costs at Walmart, it's random, but if I want to know that, I could just Google it. Definition. I don't need a dictionary. I just I can Google that right away. Phone calls, everything. If if we want something now and we don't want to save, man, we could just go swipe a card. Boom, we got it. Right? So we're accustomed to this instantaneous thing, but we have to remember God's timing's not our timing. God's timing is just not our timing. Right? Just like He didn't force His way on us, right? We can't force Him on other people. So we got to pray and wait. So let's stand, but I'm going to close with a story um, about a friend who, who did that. He, he prayed and waited, and I found this on the tail end of the story. But a friend of mine used to go to Rouse's, um, I guess, every week to go shopping, and he'd see the same guy picking up buggies. And Every time you see this guy, I guess like, like many of you have been, like I was in the gas station, uh, he was moved with compassion. And so he, he'd just pray for the guy, not with him, but for him. Uh, and, and eventually he worked his way into just smiling at him and telling him hi. And, and he got to know this guy on a surface level. You know, I guess about the fifth time he saw him, he introduced himself. And, and every time he'd go there, um, he, he'd shout at him, hey, John or whatever his name was, and, and he said the guy would push the buggies, and, and he, he, didn't, he didn't walk with a whole lot of confidence, and, and he really tried to stay out of the spotlight, and you could tell he was beat. You ever see somebody that just looked beat? I've been there. I think a lot of us have been there. So my friend just started praying for him, and, and really a year passed, and he'd smile, and John never smiled back. He'd never smile back. Most of the time when he'd say, hey, John, John wouldn't even wave at him. But he just kept getting burdened for this guy. And then one day, he's getting in his vehicle, or he, he was about to get in his vehicle, he's bringing the buggy back. And he used to, if he'd see other buggies on the way there, he'd put them on the end of his buggy and just kind of help John out, you know. And um, John stops him and said, hey, almost aggressively, 
and said, hey, why are you always smiling? Why are you always, you don't even know me. And my friend told him, man, you know the first time I ever saw you? The Lord just moved my heart with compassion. And he said, what do you mean the Lord? And he said, Jesus, man. He said, Jesus moved my heart with compassion for you. And I've always been praying for you really over the last year. I prayed for you. And that guy started crying. And he said, he said, man, I got divorced this year. I lost my other job. And he just had a string of bad circumstances. And he's tell, he told my friend, he said, I almost took my life a bunch of times and something was telling me not to do it. And he said, well, Jesus is the one who's been prompting me to pray for you. And so right there, he prayed for the guy. The guy gave his life to the Lord. And I don't know the rest of that story, but I know that my friend did three things. I know that he made Jesus his number one influence. I know he was willing to be relational. And I know he prayed and he waited for God to open up a door. Let's bow our heads as I close tonight. And just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want everybody to do that because I don't want anyone in here to worry. Maybe someone's looking around. I want this to be an intimate time with Jesus. The presence of God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is walking up and down these aisles. And and maybe you are in here and maybe you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're not sure about that. Maybe you heard about all the attributes of Jesus and you want that. Well, let me tell you, that's who Jesus is. And and the truth is he died so you could have that. If that's you, no one's looking around. Everybody's head is is bowed. Their eyes are closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up here. I just want to pray for you because I know the difference it made in my life when someone asked this question and I raised my hand and I wanted to make a difference in your life. So if that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are, and I'm just going to pray for you. Don't be shy. Don't be nervous. I see your hand. After I, after I pray, I want to meet you guys who are raising your hand. I know it takes a lot of boldness to do that. So let's just pray together. I want everybody to pray this prayer because really we need to refresh our, ourselves with this very frequently. It's a good reminder for those of you who are already saved, who do know you have a relationship with Jesus. And the person who raised their hand first or the people who raised their hands first, if you mean this with your heart, your life will never be the same. Jesus is going to change your life. It's the best night of your life right here. Let's pray. Jesus, I know all people fall short, including myself. I'm thankful that you died for me to cleanse me of my sins. I ask you to forgive me and I ask that you'd come into my heart and I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. Now, for the rest of us in here, this is something, we have something here that only people who know Jesus have and that's real community. I mean, you can have friends and And I have plenty of friends who don't know the Lord. And they're my great friends. I love them to death. And and I want them all to know Jesus. But you know what? If they never know Jesus, I'm always going to love them. And I'll always be their friend. But you know what? There's one thing that we can't share. And that's an intimate moment with the Holy Spirit. 
So for the rest of you in here, after I pray out, I want to encourage you. We're going to have some some altar workers uh, come up to the front. I want to encourage you. Stand with people in community. Pray with people. It's a thing that only we have that we can actually stand together and pray and talk to the God who created you and I, and he cares, right? So I'm just going to pray a blessing, and after that, if you were one of the people that raised your hands, I'm going to come down here. I just want to meet you, and I just want to pray for you because I know exactly what you, what you just did. I did that too. Uh, if, if any of you need prayer, come forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're so faithful. You're so faithful. Lord, I thank you that you showed up tonight in worship. I thank you that we got to just sit in your presence. God, I thank you that you were, you were able to, to use me as a vessel to, to communicate a message. And I pray that it reached the hearts of people. Jesus, I pray that for the rest of our week, it would just be the beginning of us effectively going into Jerusalem. I bind up the spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. I bind up fear of man on both ends of the spectrum. I bind up that religious spirit and I bind up that fear of of rejection and everything in between. And God, I pray that you would release You said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. God, I pray that you would make us supernaturally relevant in relationships. I pray that you would use us and give us the grace to become exactly what we need to be in order to win people to you. I pray that you'd help us to do these three things. I pray that you'd help us to make sure we maintain our relationship with you as top priority. The second thing, I pray that you would help us to be relational. And the third thing I pray is that you'd help us to pray and wait. And Lord, we just look forward to what you're going to do as we implement what we talked about tonight. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. It's an honor to do this. Y'all have a great night. If you need prayer, I encourage you to come up. If you got saved tonight, I want to meet you. I love you guys. Y'all have a good night.